Good morning. Well, it's been a few weeks. It's fun to gather back for our time at 9.30 Sunday School as we study Deuteronomy. Uh, today we're going to be in chapters 12 and 13. So there's going to be careful attention given to right worship. What right worship is to look like for the nation Israel. In particular, things are, there's an a shift here as they enter into the land. When they're in the land that, that they will possess, that God has given them, there will be even distinctions from what their exclusive worship to God has already looked like uh, in the wandering years. Now once they enter the land, it's going to need to look differently as well. And so there's just instruction given. And part of this instruction is to pay very careful attention to what you're commanded to do. So there's going to be careful attention that's needed to right worship and careful attention to a right response to false worship. And so I'll really characterize what we see in both chapters 12 and 13. Let, let me pray and then uh, begin even just with that theme of worship uh, before we even get into the text of Deuteronomy. So let's, let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as grateful people. You reign over all and you are good and we delight in your perfections. Uh, your goodness has been on display in our lives. In the past, we entrust ourselves to you with the future. And so even as a new year begins, we take great comfort in who you are and what you've done and what you're going to do. Even as we study the Old Testament and think carefully upon the instruction here in Deuteronomy, we are given much to consider as we think of acceptable worship, right worship in your sight. God, uh, we are all worshipers, and so may our worship be due unto you alone. You alone are worthy of our praise, and so you have even given instruction of what worship is to look like. And so I pray we would, we would give you that right praise. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So often on Sunday mornings when we, when we gather, we will begin with announcements. And that's, that's almost every Sunday. But often what will be said after the announcements is that everything that takes place from this point on in our gathering is prescribed in Scripture. I mean, we do find it helpful to kind of begin by communicating certain things that are going on in the life of our church. And, and so we have particularly chosen like to do the announcements prior to any of the elements of worship beginning. Because once we begin our worship, well, to what takes place for the rest of that time to be just characterized by biblical worship. And so even as you look at like at the New Testament church, an instruction that would be given to what worship is to look like in the life of the church, you see the elements that take place when we gather. And so we give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Uh, we're commanded to pray together, and so there's prayer that takes place in our worship. Uh, we are to sing. That is uh, not just filler, right? That's not just to stir up 
there's, it's not strategically placed for some other motive. I mean, there's, we ha- we're commanded to sing. We're certainly compelled to sing by God's goodness on display in our lives. Uh, but we are commanded to sing. Uh, we are commanded to give, like, sit under the preached word. So preach the word is the exhortation that is given uh, to faithful pastors. And so we, we, we sing the word, we pray the word, we read the word, we preach the word. And some have even described it, we'll see the word uh, on display, see the effects of the word through the, sac- the, the ordinances of um, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so there are other commands that you know, we're, to, we're to give out of the overflow of our hearts. So these are the things that take place when we gather. And it's often said about the church that what you win them with is what you win them to. And so there's often a lot of attempts, sometimes maybe there's good motives, or there's a lot of attention given to how can we bring people in. Uh, we want, uh, there may be a healthy desire to see others come to Christ and to be exposed to the gospel, but oftentimes there's this pragmatic attempt to, to not be as concerned with what the scripture says about what should take place when we gather, but to think more just what would be effective in bringing in outsiders. And so you'll often find churches lose sight of, of God's specific instruction about what's to take place when we gather. And so it's not uncommon to go to other churches and see what takes place when they gather, that, that much of the elements of their gathering is outside of what is regulated in the scripture as far as what a church is to give attention to when they gather. And so even for us as the church, I think we, we have to give very careful consideration to right worship. What does worship look like when we gather? And this is not new because while, while the church is distinct from Israel, when I mean, you're even recognizing back in the Old Testament that God cares greatly about how he is worshiped. And so Israel is given specific instruction about what the worship is to look like that is to characterize them as God's chosen nation. And so their worship is going to be distinct from uh, all the other nations. And we're in Deuteronomy, you know, that's the fifth book here, this, this last in the Pentateuch. But even if you think through what has already taken place in the scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, there have been significant events in, um, in history that were related to worship. And so even as we, are, we go into Deuteronomy 12, I just wanted to begin the time by just looking a little bit at a case study on worship from, from these earlier books that we have already studied together as a church. But so just kind of turn the pages with me here just for a minute with not a whole lot of, of comments here, just observations of what we see in regards to right worship in the scriptures. And so we begin in, in chapter four of Genesis with Cain and Abel. In, in Genesis four, we read, I'll just, I'll go ahead and begin at the beginning of the chapter. Chapter four, Genesis Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain 
brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. All right, without even giving too much other insight into this, just recognize that what takes place here is that, that they both give to God an offering. And there's a distinction uh, between the offerings. What, how does the Lord view these offerings? He has regard. You read, um, for Abel's offering, for B, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So we're already even noticing here in Genesis, okay, God is, praise is due to God alone. God is the right object of our worship. So we, we offer up worship to him. There are offerings that are rightly given to God, but there is acceptable worship. There is worship that God has regard for. There is worship that God does not have regard for. Let's move then to Exodus and just notice uh, as things build in each of these books, as we go to the giving of the law in the Ten Commandments, chapter 20, those first two commands even, I'll just begin there in in verse 3 of Exodus 20, uh, actually verse 1 of Exodus 20, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so when you just start with those first two commands, you think, what am I learning about worship here? We're, right, we're recognizing that God alone is to be worshiped. Commandment number one. So, so God alone is to be worshiped. So the, our right worship is given to God alone. And then we're told even further that that worship to God is to be done rightly. So not only do we worship God alone, we worship God rightly. And to worship God rightly uh, is something that we ought to consider very carefully. What does that look like? And so commandment two tells us what is not to take place in our worship. Um, and so we're, we're gonna, that's gonna very much be a big part of what we're gonna look at in, in Deuteronomy 12. But let's keep going through here. Move over to the next book of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 10. Uh, this, the, how we worship God is of utmost importance. It's what he's created us for. He alone is worthy of our worship. We are to worship him rightly. Look at Leviticus 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So then even just pausing there, jumping into context that we haven't looked at in a while, but you're seeing Nadab and Abihu, what are they guilty of? They have offered up unauthorized fire um, before the Lord, what they were doing was outside of what God had commanded. 
So their worship is not in line with what God commanded them to do. So they've offered up unauthorized fire. Uh, No big deal though, right? No. Verse two, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So, so God is to be worshiped rightly. He cares greatly how he is worshiped. So he gives us commands about what that worship is to look like. And you'll see language throughout Deuteronomy 12, pay careful attention uh, to what God has commanded. One more book though, turn over to Numbers. Numbers 25, again, just these case studies of worship in the, in the books that we've already looked at prior to Deuteronomy. Numbers 25, probably have to go ahead and read a little bit longer of a section here, but just start at the beginning of the chapter. While Israel, chapter 25 of Numbers, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you shall kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. While they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them the man of Israel, and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. So the zeal of Phinehas is honored by the Lord uh, because God cares greatly how he is worshiped. We see these examples of individuals in these earliest of, uh, books in the history of Israel of, of the seriousness of how God is worshiped and how God views those who approach him. Uh, and, and you see testimonies of, of individuals who do not take God seriously, do not worship according to God's commands and God's righteous response um, to their disobedience. And so Deuteronomy 12 is so important for us to think carefully about because they're gonna enter into the land and when they enter into the land, they're to worship God rightly. And there's already been distinct commands about what that worship is to look like. And now that they're going to have their own land, there's going to be even differences at this point in their worship. So there's much to pay careful attention to. And so let's do that together as a group. We may focus primarily on chapter 12 today. There's always next week if we need to do... um, whatever doesn't take place today. So let's, let's just give careful attention to chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12, I'll, I'll begin with just verses one through four and we'll make some observations. Deuteronomy 12, one through four. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do. I'll, I'll just pause real quick. Both 
whether or not we read chapter 13. Both in chapters 12 and 13, this is going to be repeated and important, familiar language for the nation of Israel to be careful to do. That's what, that's, what they're, that's what is stated over and over. So verse one, these are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you shall live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So we'll just pause here for a second. Really, if you even think up to this point, when I was reading those passages, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, what are some of the words that would come to mind in regards to describing right worship uh, from those cross-references? And even um, from what we just read about wrong worship in, in chapter 12, what are, what are some of the, the words that come to mind about right worship in regards to God's commands? What is right worship to look like? God alone. It is to be directed to God alone. It is to be... Try to set you up. Because yeah. there's so many words you could use. It's to be mindless, right? No, it's to be... Mindful. Thoughtful, right? My, right, very, okay. It's to be... Indifferent. It is to be... Careful. Careful. Thank, here we go. All right, let's keep going. It is to be holy. Holy. It is to be obedient. Obedient. It is important. It is to be humble. Humble. It is, oh, think of the arrogance of approaching God on your own terms. And so to hear a word like humble, it is to be God-centered and humble in that I'm going to do this as you prescribed, not as I see fit. So it is to be humble. It is to be exclusive. I mean, that's already been said when, when we're saying it, God alone. Um, it is to be, as we're going to see, if, if, if they are to go into the land and they're to destroy everything um, that is pagan, right worship is to be? Complete. Complete and very good. Give, even tell me what, Something along those lines. Do it to the fullest extent. Uh, very good. Not half-hearted, not close. It is to be accurate, complete, carried out and obediently. It is to be distinct from the other nations. It is to be specific, the instruction that's going to be given. It is necessary. Uh, it is to be loyal because it is to God alone. It is... Um, informed by God's commands. It is not, you know, up to whatever seems right in your own eyes. And so th those words, I think, even help us to see how important the first step is going to be in right worship for them as they enter into the land. This is a very logical process, right? If there's going to be a right place that's going to be commanded here in just, just a few verses, if they're going to have a right place and a right way to worship God, what are they going to have to do 
prior to that. They've got to remove all of the wrong. So there's lots of wrong habits. There's lots of wrong places. There's lots of wrong influences. There's lots of wrong temptations. There's lots of wrong worship. And so before they're going to worship God rightly in the land, they have to remove. They have to destroy. And remove is way too passive of a word. They have to radically uh, destroy. A purge the wrong worship. Very good. Strong verbs to be used here. And so look at some of the purging that is to take place. Verse 2, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. You know, and so when we even say in a minute ago that it's our, our right worship is distinct from the pagan worship, even look at just the the man's understanding that informs pagan worship. Their, their worship would take place on high places. Why was that? What's the logic behind worshiping on, you know, yeah, closer is like, well, if, he, if he's going to give attention to us, we're going to have to do things that get his attention. If we're going to worship a fertility God, we better do things that are going to get the fertility God's attention and show the fertility God that we're taking fertility seriously. Like they do ungodly things to get the attention of gods. They go places that they think this is going to be the most likely place that the God will not be unaware of us. So they would go to the high places. They do these ungodly things to get these um, false God's attention. And so you're seeing they're to destroy all of that. They're to destroy um, uh, the high places. They're to destroy everything that took place under the green tree. And what took place under every green tree uh, was very ungodly, the, the type of events that would take place under. The, this, these would be the places where, where this, these worship um, events would take place. Verse three, you shall tear down their altars, dash in pieces their pillars, burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down their carved images of their gods, destroy their name out of that place. So they're gonna come in to the land that they will possess and they are to have nothing to do with the pagan worship. And so for them to have nothing to do with the pagan worship, they are not just to overlook, they're not just to ignore, they're not just to resist, they are to remove it. They're to purge it and destroy it. And so that's how this instruction begins in verses one through four. Remove uh, the idolatrous worship. That's what right worship demands. Now, it's interesting that um, you don't have to tell people to worship because everybody worships. Right. You have to be told how to worship. Yes. You know what's right because these are pagan nations worshiping. Everybody yeah. worships. Yeah. And it's, uh, the instruction has got to be, how do I do this right? Uh-huh. And so how deadly it is to just assume that doesn't matter. To be like, I'm going to worship, so I'm just going to, I'm sure he's going to appreciate what I decide is best. No, no, no. We're going to worship according to God's um, commands. So again, you shall be careful to do. And... As obvious as this would be for Israel, as we look at, if we have time, as we look at a couple cross-references, when you even think of the, the type of, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as, as Moses describes the things that they ought to avoid, and, and later on the things that, just in case you'd be tempted to do this, you almost would read it and think, how would I be tempted to do this? And then, in fact, as you read through the history of Israel, they do the very things that we're going to read, the offensive things that they're to, that they're warned numerous times in this chapter not to do, that's going to be 
what they end up doing. So here's what they are commanded of in verse 5. After they remove, purge, destroy, uh, verse 5 says, you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. So just a note here real quick. There's not going to be ambiguity for them. If if the pagan worship happened all kinds of places, all kinds of times, all kinds of settings uh, for, for Israel, that's not how it's going to be. There's going to be a right place. And the right place equals the place that the Lord chooses. And so you're going to see repeated language. I think you even have in the handout, look at that, six different times just in this one chapter where the right place is described as the place that the Lord chose. So verse five, we just read it. Verse 11, we'll say it again. Uh, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose. Verse 14, at the place that the Lord will choose. Verse 18, but you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. Verse 21, if the place that the Lord your God will choose to put his name in verse 26. But the holy things that are due from you and your vow offerings you shall take and you shall go to the place that the Lord will choose. And so as they begin, they've, they've removed, they are to go in and remove the wrong worship and then they are to, the worship that they're gonna do that will be right, that's obedient, is going to be obedient even in the location. They're going to Worship where God has chosen the place that he will choose. You shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose, verse 5, out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. All right, I want to go ahead and read a little bit more before we, we comment on just what right worship requires. All of what takes place in this section really can be summarized under this umbrella of careful attention to God's commands. And so, so there's a, a bit of diverse instruction that's given here, but if you're thinking of all of the careful attention that is given, it speaks to the place, it speaks to the activity that is to take place, the right way to worship, and then even there's, there's instruction about um, how this is distinct from what it looked like prior to entering the land, and then there's instruction even about when they eat uh, meet, how that is to be done in such a way that would be obedient to God's commands. So let me just read through a, a bit. I don't know if we'll read all of it, but let's just jump in. Um, I believe I should just jump in in verse five. You shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all the tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. That's an interesting thing to add to our list of what right worship is to look like. Do you notice something else that's listed that you think takes place when, when hearts that are overflowing obediently worship God, what, what is it characterized by? Rejoicing. That's right. There's joy and delighting in how God has blessed us, delighting in who God is, delighting in how good his commands are. And so we are to rejoice in, in our worship. But uh, you're seeing there's a right 
place in a right way. And so listed out are these various offerings and sacrifices. The, the burnt offerings would have been, you know, these offerings that were consumed. Uh, the sacrifices, you know, I think you'd see that it wasn't always consumed, that, that the fat portions would have been burnt in, the, in these sacrifices. But then you're seeing these offerings that are given unto the Lord. And all of it is prescribed in Scripture. And they are to give careful attention to how to do it, who is to do it, where it is to take place. Okay, verse 8. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Let me just pause for a second too, because when you first read verse 8, it almost sounds like pretty bad indifference kind of like the judge's language that's listed when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And I don't think that this is actually as negative here. There just wasn't as specific of guidelines prior to entering and possessing the land about what right worship was to look like. And so I don't know that this is so much of an indictment of what is said in this verse, but it is pointing to a distinction that's going to take place in the timing now here. As we go in, as we enter into the land, we're going to possess this land. It is not going to look like what it did, where everybody just kind of did what, what seemed right. Um, you know, th- it's going to be much more careful, much more specific. No more room for, for what you read in verse 8. Verse 9 says, For... You have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. Um, I think it's also worth just noting here, if you take the Bible seriously uh, and you want to interpret it rightly, when people that start arguing about who wrote Deuteronomy, and often their theories will be related to timing of when it was written, number of authors that must have written it, all this kind of stuff. But, but as you read through Deuteronomy, it's very clear when Deuteronomy was written uh, the, or, or what Moses is writing about. The timing here, they have not yet entered in. So look at the timing here in verses 8 and 9. It's just obvious. 9 says, For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. And so it, to see Moses as the author, as the scriptures even testify to, just matches up with the testimony of scripture as you're reading here. Moses describing what is going to happen um, because they have not yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord is giving them. Verse 10, but when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contributions, etc. Verse 12, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. Okay, so again, we're just seeing that um, there is specific instruction now to add to this um, list of right worship. It's, it can't just happen wherever it seems fit, what seems right. No, you're going to do it as God said, at the place that God says, the place that God chooses. Um, this is what is to characterize their, um, their worship that's, that's um, consistent with what we said earlier about to God alone, 
and distinct from the pagan nations and careful and biblical and obedient and complete in all the words that we use there to describe it. Any, any thoughts here just as you, you consider approaching God rightly and, and the commands to pay careful attention to, to the, this uh, instruction that God gives, the commands that God gives? I think it's interesting when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, she brings up the issue of where to worship. You know, you people say it's in Jerusalem, we say it's here. And Jesus said, hour is coming, now is where <clears throat> neither there nor here, but in spirit and in truth. And so our attention should be given to worshiping spiritually, but also in truth. Yeah. Right. And of course, there are other commands laid out in the New Testament. But um, and so how he makes that transition. Isn't it, and, it, and all of it, pro, the wandering years, the, the land, then you're thinking like, you know, and then even oh, as, as Jesus himself is saying in spirit and truth, all of it is informed by the right way to worship God alone. And so, so we are to pay careful attention to how to worship him rightly. So yeah, good comment. Anything else? Yes. Sinful, but sometimes I think that we're more in tune to when the service ends than what we do in the service. <laughs> like if I preach for three hours today, people would talk about it for months. <laughs> 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 you know, so I, I, I guess I wonder, you know, I wonder how the services work. I wonder how... Maybe that's just a matter of time because we're so time-oriented that we kind of fit everything into one hour, whether it's counseling or scripture classes or whatever. Okay, I'm going to stop. Yeah, no. Well, that's just a very helpful word for us to think they're right. To, uh, not a recommendation. It was what you were given, just to be clear. Yeah. yeah. No, um, yeah, to really think about right worship and what it, what our, we are so easily distracted. And so, so even as offensive as it looks at what Israel does later when they're going to do the very things they're told not to do, but, but you're, you're seeing, well, man, it's because they weren't paying careful attention to what God had commanded. And so then what a, I think that's a very helpful application for us to, even when we gather and we think, okay, well, they're, they're right, a right way is informed by what we do. Um, and so when, when we're doing the things that God has commanded, we also want to be paying careful attention to be doing those things with um, the right motives, the right, a right heart, a thoughtful engagement with what is taking place. We're, we're worshiping. We're not just we're so prone to being consumers when, when that is not what is to be on our mind. What did I get out of this? It's certainly um, praises due to God alone. We gather to make much of him to serve him, to leave better worshipers in light of what we were instructed with. So yeah, thank you for just drawing our minds to that reality. Um, let, let's keep moving through. Just, we'll, we'll finish out this, this chapter. If I, um, where did I stop? Verse 14. Okay. Now, so this gets interesting. Some of us will find this very encouraging here when, when they're given instruction on eating meat and eating as much as you desire. This is an instruction that, that's given here, and this is pretty significant for them. i even just kind of go back real quick to chapter seven. When you think of what, what awaits them in this 
promised land. Um, in, in Deuteronomy 7, you know, verses 13 and 14, just thinking about what is ahead of them. Uh, he will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. So they're going to prosper. Their, their livestock will even increase and abound. They're going to have a lot of cattle, a lot of livestock, a lot of meat that will be available. And they're told in chapter 12, and you're going to be able to eat meat um, as much as you desire. So even sticking still with chapter 7 though, or no, no, go to the next chapter, chapter 8, verse 10. They're even told what's going to summarize what their experience is going to be like in this land of plenty this blessing from God. Verse 10 says, and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And so now they're going to enter into a land and they're going to be spread out. They're not going to be just in this, you know, um, exile where they are wandering together. They're going to be entering into a land and they're going to have a lot of land. There's not just going to be some easy ability for them every time that sacrifice takes place that the, 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 the animal that is sacrificed is taken and, and um, eaten at a specific place. Even now they're told, even some of the animals that are not sacrificial animals, you're, you can kill and eat those animals as well. The non-sacrificed animals and even animals that were going to be offered up as a sacrifice, just as you read through in verses 15 and following, they're going to be allowed to eat it. They're still going to give careful attention to what they're not to do, but they are allowed to eat meat. And so there's guidance given about where and how and what they are to eat. Um, but there is uh, instruction given about the blood um, that they are to drain the blood. Only be sure, verse 23, that you do not eat the blood for the blood is the life and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. This came up in Leviticus, and it's here again in, in Deuteronomy. We're just recognizing this, the sanctity of life. And so then here there's sanctity of the blood here with the way Israel was to approach meat. They were not to eat the blood. They were not to consume the blood. So they were to drain the, the blood from the flesh of the meat before they would eat this meat. But anyway, you're seeing God's provision is blessing the fulfillment of what he said in chapter 8, verse 10, that they were going to eat and be full. They were going to have all this to eat, uh, and they can eat as much as they desire, they're even told in Deuteronomy 12. But be careful to do it according to how God commands. So, so he still provides them with specific instructions about what the sacrifices are to look like and how to do them. Uh, but be careful, verse 28, be careful. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Well, let's look last at this um, final section, this warning in chapter 12, a final warning against idolatry. They've already been warned about idolatry. They've been given instruction about how to deal with idolatry. And in the very same chapter that they're instructed to destroy anything remotely idolatrous, there's still one more warning given again in regards to idolatry. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care. Again, that's that language. Be careful to do 
Verse 30, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods saying, how did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? Just pause for a second because this looks so ridiculous to even think, was it even just last Sunday or in some setting where maybe it was even with uh, men the other day, Rod was talking to us about how when nations would go in and destroy other nations, you know, that would communicate in, in a pagan mind even whose God was greater. So it's just like absolutely ridiculous that you'd go in and destroy a nation and then you'd think, hey, I wonder, wonder how they worship their gods because let's go do the same thing. Now, it, it's just illogical that they would have even been tempted to worship that which they just destroyed. But because the pagan worship was so immoral, <laughs> and convenient, and easy, uh, and they didn't have hearts after God. There's just so many reasons why the Israelites were prone to being influenced by the Canaanites. And so what a, a wise and good provision it was for God to tell them to purge it out because they're not gonna be able to handle the temptation and they don't handle the temptation. And so here's what he says they're gonna do, that they need to take care that they don't do. Take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they've been destroyed before you. Verse 31, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. So everything that God hates, that's what they have done for their gods. Uh, They've done for their gods for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Uh, I've I bet we will begin here next week. But you see on your handout there, there's like three cross-references from 2 Kings. It's so painful to read through uh, what Moses is telling them to take care not to do that ends up being what they do, even to the point of child sacrifice. So as, as hard as that would be to think out, how important it was to Israel uh, that their, their children would be protected And yet here they're going to be the guilty party in offering up child sacrifice, just like the pagans did. And and so as we begin in chapter 13 next week, we'll we'll probably even think through why influence matters, why these idolatrous influences must be purged, um, even when they're religious leaders, family members, neighboring cities, because these influences lead them to idolatry. And so the, uh, the idolatry that is described at the end of 12 is what Israel will end up being guilty of. Um, and these are things that the Lord hates. The thing that the Lord hates is what the pagan worship was characterized by. So verse 32 says, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Um, the The influences that lead Israel astray are going to be described in chapter 13 as worthless. And so we can look through the Old Testament of different activities that are described by God as worthless. And one of those worthless activities is when you entice others to worship falsely to worship wrongly, not to worship rightly. That's one of the things that God describes as worthless. And so as we gather, how important what we're doing, uh, it's just so important what takes place when we gather. And so may we do it rightly and may we find great delight in in worshiping God according to his commands. 
Uh, so let's, let's rejoice together today in our, in our time of worship as we sing praises to God. We are compelled to sing along with being commanded to sing. We have much to sing about. As we read the scripture, let's think carefully about what we're reading. So we pray, uh, let's humbly approach God in dependence on, on who he is and entrusting ourselves to him to provide for every need. And as we sit under the preached word, let's, let's allow our minds to in, Think carefully upon what we're hearing and let's leave here obeying, responding in faith and obedience to what has been said and leave here better worshipers. So, so let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. What a timely instruction to be given even at the first of the year to think of right worship um, and to, to read of these careful instructions that were to be taken and observed carefully. So then even for us as new covenant believers, as we read through the scriptures and read of what we're prescribed to do when we gather in the New Testament, God, may that characterize our worship and may we thoughtfully engage with everything that takes place today. May our hearts, um, may our worship be heart-filled. May, we, may, our, um, may our lips utter praises that are out of an overflow of the heart. May you be glorified through all that is said and done today. Uh, we just love you and thank you and praise you for the time that we can spend together as a body of believers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.